Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi, thank you for joining me. Today, we will be talking about something that is a point of frustration for many bereaved parents, and that is feeling like we are being judged for missing our children. For some reason, there are people around us who think we should be moving on or be over it by now, as if the death of our child is like a bad cold. Yes, the death of our child was an event, a moment in time, but that moment has disfigured us for the rest of our lives. My daughter, Becca, the one who died, once shared about her own daughter that having a child is like having your heart walk around outside of your body. When our child dies, it shatters our heart. We feel like we died along with our child. It's more than something that happened a few weeks ago or months ago or even years ago. The death of our child is a continual occurrence for us. Every morning when we wake up, at some point, the realization hits us that our child is no longer here and will not be part of our day. It can feel like they died all over again. Every event can feel like another death of our child. Seeing pictures of other kids on the first day of school, our heart is shattered with wondering. Getting rid of something like a car that our child rode in, I remember when that happened to me, can feel like we're getting rid of our child. We no longer have that car that attaches us to those memories, and we feel so guilty that we're being forced to move on without our child. There are meals we can no longer make or maybe even eat because it's too painful to be reminded that our child isn't there to eat their favorite food with us. Something like seeing a pair of shoes displayed in a store can send us bolting to the car in tears as we realize we'll never be buying our child another pair again, maybe for sports or special occasions. Hearing a certain song can come on the radio and force us to the side of the road, unable to drive because we can't see through our tears, even when we turned that song off. Now, I'm not trying to depress or discourage you here. I'm just letting you know that we all understand this. We get it. If you've lost a child, we get it. And the thing is, We're not stuck in our grief because of these things. It's not that we're refusing to get over it or we're refusing to move on with our lives. We can seem like we're stuck because we're surrounded by constant reminders of our child who should be here, part of our everyday lives, but isn't. Every holiday, every school day, Every weekend, every time we get into the car, every store we walk into, every show on TV, every phone call, every road we drive on, every restaurant, every church service, every vacation, every squirrel or chipmunk or bird or cat, every everything has either the potential or the guarantee to feel like a slap in the face reminder that our child is no longer here as part of our lives. And it isn't just the loss of our child. 
but it is the continual losses we will experience. Our future we dreamed about with our child has been taken from us. They are a lost link to our everyday lives and to our future. Some of us become masters at putting on our I'm okay mask as soon as we walk out the door of our house. We numb ourselves to the pain as best as we can because if we don't, we would not even be able to function on autopilot. However, the triggers, as you know, can be everywhere. It takes every ounce of energy not to fall apart for a very long time when those triggers hit. It can be like a tsunami of a grief wave that we're trying desperately to control. Sometimes we can't hold on and we fall apart, trying to find a place of safety until we can resurface for a breath. Sometimes we can keep it together, only to race home so we can rip off that mask and fall down somewhere unable to function for the rest of the day. Our child that we love more than our own lives, as long as we remain here on this earth, we live with that piece of our heart missing. How can anyone get over a piece of their very being that has been violently torn from them? Did you know that is what is behind the word perever? Now, I know there's no word that can describe our pain, but there is a word that describes who we are now without our child, and that is the word perever. If you haven't heard this word before or maybe heard it explained before, if you look up the word bereave, it comes from the root word reeve, R-E-A-V-E. And that root word reeve means a tearing, a robbing, something being, being violently torn or taken from us. That is exactly how we feel with the death of our child, that our child was torn away from us, violently taken. And so when you put the P-A for parent in front of that reeve, and then the O-R as somebody, you know, a person, you get the word parever, a parent who's had their child ripped away from us. And that just seems to be a good word that describes who we are now without our child, a parever. Our love for someone does not stop because they're not with us. Think about the phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder. When we love someone deeply, that is very true. Why? Because of how much we miss them, because we realize our life is empty without them. If you ask a perever if they love their child who has died less as time goes on or about the same, or do they love their child more, I would say about 90% of them easily will say they love their child even more now than when he or she died. Very few will say they love their child about the same as when that child died, and I have yet to ever hear a parent say they love their child less because love grows. We are not the same person we were before, and we never will be. There are those around us who are wondering when we're going to be back to our old selves, and that's kind of selfish on their part, isn't it? To me, that's like asking when a tree that's been split by lightning will be back in full bloom again. Yes, it can recover, 
because the roots are still there, but it takes a very long time, and that tree will always keep the deformity of the trauma. If someone has an amputation, first they have to heal, both physically and emotionally, from having that body part cut off from them. And the emotional healing will usually almost always take much longer than the physical healing. Then they have to learn how to function and do everything differently with that part of them missing. Even when that happens, they're reminded multiple times a day that that body part has been cut off because of how they are forced to live differently in a way that helps them adapt to the loss. Some days it's easy, and some days it's a struggle to stay positive and not care. And other days it hits them full force, almost like it just happened. No matter how long ago the amputation happened, there will always be frustrating moments because of the limitations. Our daughter Becca had her left leg amputated when she was only three years old because of cancer. So Dave and I had a front row seat to see our child grow up with a missing leg being taken from her. We have had our child amputated from us, and everything that an amputee has to go through, we do as well. Only, I feel like it's multiplied and much more intensely. The death of one's child is considered by most professionals to be one of the most, if not the most, traumatic event a person can deal with in life. Many parents also deal with PTSD based on the circumstances of their child's death. And let me just say, you didn't have to be there when your child died. Just the circumstances, it, it can give us PTSD. I don't think anyone can deny that it is a traumatic experience to walk behind your child's casket and bury them or to bring your child home as ashes in an urn. And for those parents who maybe found their child's body, and like I said, many other possible scenarios, the PTSD can make things even worse. Let me just say, we do learn to cope. We do. Life goes on. We learn how to come up out of the darkness. There is hope, but the thing is, we don't get over it like people around us think we should sometimes. One of those ways of coping is to find ways to keep our child close to us. I don't know of many moms who don't keep a picture of that child in her wallet. My picture of Becca is front and center so that every time I snap it open, I see her smiling at me. You would think this would be a painful thing, and it can be, but it's also a comfort in feeling like she's still with me, that she will always be a part of me. Many of us also have an extra something we wear, which includes getting a tattoo. I know a lot of you have never considered getting a tattoo before, but you have one now that is something significant of your child. Oftentimes, whatever we have, you know, whatever we wear, or that tattoo or whatever it is, no one else even knows about it. We don't advertise it. We don't call attention to it. It's just always there with us. For me, a few months after Becca died, we went on vacation to Branson, Missouri. Now, I spent a few years growing up in Joplin, Missouri, and I loved going to a place called Silver Dollar City. This was years ago before they had rides or anything else, and 
I introduced my own family to this place, and now Dave and the kids enjoy returning there as much as I did growing up, and now my kids are taking their kids, so it's kind of fun. But on this particular trip, as we were wandering in and out of the shops, there was one that really got my attention. They engraved band rings. It was within that first year of losing Becca, and something about it gripped me, causing me to want a ring with her name on it. I wear it on my right pinky. On the left side of her name is engraved a little heart, and on the right side of her name, there's a small butterfly. Why is something like that so important to us? I don't really know for sure. It just is. Somehow, it keeps them close to us, even though they're so very far away from us now. And I think maybe it's part of that fear of other people forgetting our child, but we know that we will never forget them. And it's a a visual reminder for us that our child's life will always matter and they will always be close to us. In today's world, it's so easy to see and interact with our offspring, all the social media, all the, I mean, I remember Dave's parents were on the mission field And we were their, you know, their point of contact back home. And I remember we would call them and maybe 10 minutes of a call, it was a satellite with delayed reaction. And so we'd be talking over each other and pausing, waiting for the other one to go. And I mean, 10 minutes of of a call was like $100 easily, a couple hundred dollars, depending on where they were. But in today's world, it's not even close to that. I mean, we can video someone, I can video someone in Australia just like that. So when an adult child moves away, there are still ways to see them or talk to them. You can pretty much still call them whenever you want. You can plan parties, vacations, other family events together. Parents don't often take the time to realize that they would have to make a conscious decision not to have access to their child in today's world. If someone who has never experienced the death of one of their children were to stop and think just for a moment what life would be like without their child, no contact whatsoever for a full month, no contact, not even knowing how they're doing, no letters, no phone calls, no messages, texting, anything. How would they feel for that month of just being totally and completely in the dark about their child? Now, take that thought and make it for the rest of their life here on earth, that they know that they know that they know they will never, ever hear from that child again. Welcome to our world, except we aren't just imagining it, we're living it. In one of the books I read a while back, a story was shared how a woman told a grieving mom that she knew how this grieving mom felt because her daughter was moving out of the country. (laughs) I know all of you, it's like, uh, yeah, bristle, bristle, right? Of course, this woman who said that stayed in contact with her daughter, even though she was across the world. And several years later, she went to go visit her grandchildren, something the bereaved mom obviously would never be able to experience. So you tell me, is it the same? Doesn't this bereaved mom have the right to still miss her child and occasionally grieve deeply for other losses in her life that resulted in the death of her daughter? Of course she does. You and I, we all know (laughs) she does, right? Some of us perievers become either withdrawn or even angry and bitter when we're given limits by people around us on missing our children. 
When others question our grief, at the very least, we have to struggle to keep it from adding to our heaviness, don't we? Several years ago, when I was working on one of my books, I was accused by someone of trying to drag up the past instead of going forward. Now, this was only like three to four years after Becca's death. It was like, wow. My response was that it's not dragging up the past. It's learning how to live in the present and in the future without our daughter. And we can do that. It may not seem like it will ever be possible, but you can. Studies have shown that for those who have lost a child, anything under five years is considered fresh grief. So if you are still in those first few years, I'm not surprised one bit if you believe that you will never get past this, that you'll never have a life worth living again without your child here. I felt that way. I had four other children to live for. I had Becca's daughter. I had another granddaughter. I had a husband who sent me out on international ministry trips for children's ministry, supported me in everything I did. But I didn't feel like life would ever be worth living again without Becca here. So I understand that. I was there. And there are thousands of other parents who were in that same place. You will never get over your loss as if it never happened. That is impossible. But you can and you will get over to the other side of the darkness. And it's not like people want us to get over our child or move on. Our lives will look different. Like I said, it's going to be like living with an amputation. But the thing is, having a front row seat to Becca's amputation also showed me that she learned how to live a life worth living. Just because she had her leg cut off from her didn't mean she sat and felt sorry for herself and never played never tried to figure out how to run with a prosthesis, that she never figured out how to do things that limited her with only one leg. She lived life to the fullest. She was a happy, spunky, strong-willed girl and young adult also. So having that front row seat was just a blessing for us. And I just want to pass that blessing on to you. We can learn how to live a meaningful life with our child not here. They're not gone forever, right? If this is a temporary separation, and I know we can't seem to see a future because our future is supposed to have our children in it. But you can come out of this place of darkness, and you can and will be able to live a life of meaning and purpose again. And this is not in spite of your child's death but it's because of his or her life. Some of what I just shared was taken from my book, Come Grieve Through Our Eyes, How to Give Comfort and Support to Bereaved Parents. I wrote it so that, and I think you can tell this podcast episode also, is something you could ask someone to listen to if they're struggling with understanding why you are struggling so deeply. And I, I wrote the book with that purpose, with that intent, that we could hand this book to somebody and say, read this book, and then come and talk to me about why I'm still struggling. 
The thing is, a lot of perievers have shared how they love this book because it helped them to feel so relieved that they're not going crazy because many of the things that they are struggling with that this book talks about would be considered normal for those of us who've lost a child. You can find out more about this book if you're interested and my other books by going to gpshope.org books. Before we get to the birthdays, I also want to remind you that we have two GPS Hope and Healing retreats available right now. Now, we only take small groups, 8 to 10 people. We like to keep them small and intimate so that we can just really build relationships with each other and feel like it's a safe place to share our children with each other and laugh together and cry together and all of that stuff, all the good stuff that comes along with it. One of these is in the Orlando, Florida area in March, and another is in July in Virginia, the D.C. area. I want to let you know, we have a scholarship that's been given specifically to help either a couple or someone who would be coming by themselves to the retreat in Florida. So if you want to come, but finances are an issue, let us know. Send an email to dave at gpshope.org. If you want to find out more about the retreats, just go to gpshope.org slash retreat. And also, don't forget about the cruise in October. I know many of you feel like, how can anyone go on a cruise when they're grieving? Well, I did about six weeks after Becca died, believe it or not, and it was wonderful. I didn't have to cook or clean. I didn't have to do anything I didn't want to. I could sit in my room and cry. I could stand on my balcony just amazed at the ocean and how God's love is so much bigger and greater than the ocean and let his presence wash over me with some healing. I could go find a show or some live entertainment whenever I wanted to. It was just a healing thing that was so good. When we started GPS Hope, I immediately wanted to find a way to get other perievers to have the same experience. And now we are able to do that. This is a seven-night cruise in October with a grief seminar on the days we're at sea so you don't miss any ports. You can attend workshops or not. We'll have a candlelight memorial walk around the deck one night that's beautiful. You'll have the opportunity to sit and eat meals with Dave and myself and others who get it because they're in the same boat as you. Yeah, okay. Did you grow to roll your eyes at that? So anyway, check out this cruise. Don't assume you can't do it. Check it out at gpshope.org slash cruise. Now, all these things I mentioned, I will have links to them in the show notes. I would love to have the chance to spend a week with you traveling the Caribbean or a weekend, an intimate weekend at one of the GPS Hope and Healing Retreats. So I hope to see you at one of those. Let's go ahead to this week's birthday segment. Noah J. Barella budded on earth to bloom in heaven on January 14th. Joshua Caldwell was born on January 16th and is forever 28. Tate Kwiatkowski was born on January 16th and is forever 69 days. Jonathan Jackson was born on January 17th and is forever 15. Hugh Brown was born on January 19th and is forever 18. Jeanette Marie was born on January 19th 
and is forever 36. We celebrate with these families the precious day these children came into our world and into our lives. We know it will always be an important day. And just along the line of the topic of this episode, it's a day that we'll never forget and we'll never get over, will we? It changed our lives forever. We never forget the day our child was born. If you would like to have your child's birthday announced the week of his or her birthday, I would be honored to do that. All you have to do is go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. Fill out the form, submit the information, and Dave will send you an email as a reminder that uh, your child's birthday was announced so that you remember to listen to the podcast episode that week. And also, he will remind you to put your child back on the list again for the following year if you would like them announced again. One thing that makes those around of us think we're living in the past and need to move on is because we need to talk about our child. It's only natural for parents to talk about their children. So why wouldn't we, even if our child is no longer alive here on this earth? The need to talk about our child doesn't usually mean we're not moving on. In fact, I would say for most of us, it does the opposite. It is healing to help us to process and reprocess the awful dark truth that we need to learn how to live with the permanent departure of our child here on earth. Plus, it means our child will not be forgotten as if his or her life didn't matter or make a difference. If there's anyone listening to this episode who has not lost a child, but you know and love someone who has, and you're trying to understand their grief and loss, be very thankful that you can't, because to be able to understand means that you're one of us, and we would not wish this kind of suffocating darkness on anyone, even our enemies. But thank you for taking the time to listen, to be able to be there for us in a way that many, I would say most people, are not able to, for wanting to know how to better support us, to be able to encourage us and hold us up in a way that is actually helpful for us. Thank you. If the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast has been a help to you, can you make sure you share it with others? And also, if you listen on Apple or another platform, can you please take a few minutes to give it a rating and maybe a short review? That is what will cause this podcast to be boosted, showing up higher in the search engines when a bereaver is looking for hope. And speaking of hope, remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.